thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Hopefully you've kept your place in the Psalms and keep it there in Psalm 103. We're going to look at one verse to introduce the message, Psalm 9419. If you would go from 103rd Psalm to the 94th Psalm. Almost 50 years ago now, I was a young man. Can you believe it? And I was a young man who was ill. The source of the illness was being overly anxious in my life. I found myself in a hospital room, shared with another man who would be probably 30 or 40, maybe even 50 years older than I was then. His name was Skeet. I never met a man named Skeet in my life except this individual. He was a true West Texas man. He was a man who was a veteran of many surgeries. He was facing carotid artery surgery the next morning, and he was chirpy. He was talking a lot. He could sense, I'm sure, my anxiousness about undergoing the knife. And this is what he said to me in his splendid West Texas draw. Mike, in just a little while, they're going to come in here and they're going to give you a don't care shot and you won't care if they cut your throat after that shot. <laughs> well, I just listened and sure enough, they came in. It was just one person, but it's always they, you know. And I got a shot and Skeet was right. I didn't care. At that time, they don't do this anymore. You're not given that anesthesia until you're rolled from the pre-op area into the surgical suite. But they did that out in the open before the whole world back then in the dark ages, and they gave me the shot. And I was free as a bird when I went in there. And I'm here to tell the story, obviously. So the surgery went well. The illness that I experienced was due to not processing stress properly in my life. I couldn't blame anybody for my illness except myself. Now I know not all illnesses are of that sort, but probably more than one person in the room can identify with that. This verse that we're about to look at and the 103rd Psalm is part of the biblical response to anxiety in our lives. Look at verse 19 of Psalm 94. There is no human name attached to this psalm, the 94th Psalm. It is indeed a psalm written by the Lord through the agency of some unnamed individual. Look at what it says. The psalmist writes, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, I'd like you to fix your eyes on one word. It seems like an innocent word. It's a preposition in English, within. But that word speaks a thousand words really to us. 
when you consider that when this word is used elsewhere in the Old Testament, we're going to see one in just a moment. We read it earlier from the 130th Psalm. This means the very core of your being, the very center of your life. We just sang, Jesus, be the center of it all. Jesus' place in relationship to me and to you is to be the central figure in our lives. I'll never forget hearing the testimony of a college student, a very bright individual. He was a student at one of the Ivy League schools. He had heard a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it gripped him. And as he was discussing with the one who brought the message about the matter of giving Christ his proper place, and that would be the place of centrality. This is what he said to the man who was sharing the gospel with him. He said, this decentralizing is giving me fits. He understood that in order for him to really know the Lord, he had to separate himself from being the centerpiece of his own life. We are our own worst problem because we, by nature, we are people who the Bible calls people of flesh. That's not simply talking about what covers our skeletal system and our other systems, the flesh that keeps us going. Not that. But we know that what the Bible means when it talks about flesh in most cases is about that part of me and you apart from the renewing and controlling influence of the Holy Spirit of God. When I get outside of the boundaries that God has established for me in terms of bringing the best into my life, that would be one of submission to the Holy Spirit of God. I'm on a collision course for difficulty in my life. Many of you know what I'm talking about. And it never ends well. We are deceived by ourselves. We have an ally in the devil who does his dead level best to tempt us and lure us in to bad thinking which results in bad acting. And so we need to understand that within us is the place that's been reserved for one and one only to be the central figure, and that is Jesus. The Bible says that we're to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. Put Him in the central place in our lives. Look at what the psalmist says again. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, who is the author of Scripture? And for some of you, that is a head-scratcher. For most of us, we would say, well, God is the author of Scripture. And more precisely, God the Holy Spirit is responsible for the Scripture. He's the one who inspired the Scripture. And really, that word which is so often translated, inspired, when it says all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, look. The word is not inspired, it's expired really is what it means. It was breathed out from God. And all scripture is inspired so that we can be corrected and trained and taught so we can be what God wants us to be in 
terms of being related to him. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, there was a human author. These words were not words for window dressing. This was one man's report. And it was he saying, I have a lot of anxious thoughts going on in my mind and it's racking me. It's wrecking me. And so what we need to understand when the scripture says here, when my anxious thoughts, they're his, multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. When this first struck me quite a while ago, I can't say exactly when, but probably when I was in my 40s is when it really struck me. I wanted to know what this word consolations meant because I had multiple kinds of thoughts that seemed to conspire to derail me and to destroy me in terms of this matter of having delight in my soul. So I went on a hunt to try to understand what this word meant. And that search led me to Psalm 103. Look again now at Psalm 103. Look at what David, we know the human author here. So God, the Holy Spirit, inspired people. He gave them what he wanted them to write down. It's true of whoever wrote Psalm 94, verse 19. Also true of what we read here today and we're studying together in the 103rd Psalm. When David wrote, look what he says in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Can you just get a picture in your mind of David when he first wrote these words? To whom is he speaking? Do you suppose David had in mind to publish this psalm? Well, he might have thought it might join the many other psalms which he had written and were being used in worship of God in the nation of Israel. But he really was speaking to one person. Who was it? It was himself, wasn't it? It's like when you were a child, perhaps, and you were needing a good talking to by your parent, and your parent said, sit down, Mike. And then the parent stood, not like ominously stood, but you knew who was in charge of that situation. And you were spoken to. David sits his soul down. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We need to understand that God stands alone in the universe. He's not our buddy. He's our master. He's our God. He's holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And we are to listen to him. And we're to say, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We need to talk to ourselves. This is one thing, if you're not doing it, you need to learn to do. Do figuratively what a parent may have done with you before. Set you down and speak to you, O my soul. And to forget none of the benefits of the Lord. That word benefits is the one that linked my search 
over from 94.19 when it says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. And by the way, the one who wrote those words obviously was having multiple anxious thoughts. But this same person would have been a person in whom the Holy Spirit lived. This person was a godly person. So I want you to understand, just because you have an anxious thought or multiple anxious thoughts does not in any way mean that you're not a person of God. You understand? It could mean that you don't know Him. You've not, not yet found the means whereby to overcome your anxious thoughts. But nevertheless, David was speaking to his soul. And he said, forget none of his benefits. The word consolations in 94.19, look at it again, when my anxious thoughts multiply, it's like an avalanche. How does an avalanche usually start? Something disrupts something at the higher elevations. It may start rather innocently looking, but as it gains momentum coming down mountain, what happens? It is an, an ominous landslide that just wipes everything out in its path. And so anxious thoughts have a capacity to glom together and really gain momentum. Have you ever been awakened in the middle of the night and you woke up, you went to bed at 11 hoping you'd get to sleep five or six hours and it's 2 a.m. in the morning? And you look at the clock and you just kind of, oh my Lord, I, I, I'm, in, I'm just under all kind of pressure. And you're worrying about one thing usually that wakes you up. Am I right? One thing. But then before long, this has been my experience and I'm not superimposing my experience on you. But I've had another one to follow. And they kind of team up on me. Anybody have those kind of experiences in your life? And before long, you've got several of these anxious thoughts that are just driving you up the wall. Well, David evidently knew this, as did the psalmist of 94.19. Now, the rest of this talk is designed to help you to apply what God says so that you can overcome your anxious thoughts and not be defined or destroyed by those things that will if left unannounced and not unaddressed, will have that kind of effect. Look at the first one in verse 3 of Psalm 103. Who pardons all your iniquities. What is iniquity? Well, it's a sin. That's another word for sin to simplify it. Pardons all my iniquities. I would imagine in a group this large, there's more than one person who maybe even in the last day or two, have been bothered, anxious about sin in your life and how you've allowed sin to usurp the role of Christ in your life. Sin has become the center of your life in your thinking and perhaps in your acting as well. But you know it's not God's will. Christ is to be the center of your life. But it just bugs the daylights out of you. That can be a good thing, by the way, because the Bible speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about His work in giving us the Scriptures, but also He convicts us, the Bible says, of our sin, if we know Him. And what does that simply mean? It means He 
disciplines us in our minds, and He wants us to know the truth because He knows the truth is the only thing which will set you free and set me free from the anxious thoughts which multiply in the deepest recess of who we are. What does the Bible say about pardoning our sins? Let's look in this very psalm. Let's begin with verse 8 of Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. God is not one who delights in punishing people for their sins. He is one who wants to offer an alternative. The alternative is putting Him where He belongs, in the central place in our lives, so that we will not be crushed by these anxious thoughts or defined by these anxious thoughts which multiply within us. Verse 9 says, He will not always strive with us. In other words, He will not always oppose us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. What would an all-holy God do if He were unrestrained and uncompassionate? What would He do the moment He detected sin in my life or your life? Well, He'd just do away with it by doing away with me. That's what He would do. But that's not our God. Our God is greatly patient. We just read about it. And it's His desire to help you and me to realize our intended purpose. Do you know what your intended purpose was in God's mind? That you know Him. And that when you come to know Him, you are a person who centralizes Him. You step away from calling the shots in your life and you hand the keys to the car, as it were, to Him and you surrender your life to Him. And the devil is so clever to try to persuade us if we make such a decision and we decentralize ourselves and put Christ where He belongs at the center, that it's going to be a bummer. Well, it's quite the opposite. It's another lie of the devil. In Psalm 16, for instance, I could cite many references, but Psalm 16, 11 says, about the Lord, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In your presence. How many places do you go for pleasure? It's always temporary, isn't it? The pleasures of this world. And I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy things, entertainment and stuff like that. There's things in the things that we observe that are not altogether bad, but they're a poor second to what we have in Christ. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's what we have in the Lord. Look at verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. Take note of that phrase, those who fear Him. We're going to meet that phrase two more times in this passage. And I love this one, and I hope you do too. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Transgression is 
a synonym for iniquities, and iniquities is a synonym for sins. So these are words which are used to describe our separation from God based on our sin. And what does he say? How far has he removed our sins from us if we have put him at the center of our lives? Infinitely far, as far as the east is from the west. The gospel of God is spelled out for us in the Bible. Perhaps the most full and clear way is in the book of Romans. And listen to some of the things that God's Spirit inspires Paul the Apostle to write. He says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, as a gift and by His grace, has given us redemption through the person of Christ Jesus our Lord through what Jesus has done for us. And we know what He did for us. He died on the cross to purchase a place for us in heaven which He offers as a free gift which we neither can earn nor deserve. And in the process, the outcome of that is that there is therefore now no condemnation for us who in Christ Jesus. He wipes the slate clean so that when He looks at us in Christ, he sees Christ. He's not ignorant. He didn't pull the wool over his own eyes. He's omniscient, so he knows that there are still tendencies and activities of our lives that are a reflection of selfishness, i.e. sin, and demonstration of our own self-will. He knows that, but what he also knows is the agreement that he made with himself and with us in providing us with a sin that I mean, a Savior that wipes away our sin completely. Look at verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. There's that phrase again, those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Aren't you glad that he's understanding? As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. David is warning us with the help of the Holy Spirit that we're temporary. Time is passing. Can you imagine how quickly time passes? I was talking to a lady after service today, early service, and today's her birthday. I won't name her, but she named her age, and she said, I can't believe how quickly the years go by now. And the older you go, the quicker it goes. And that's not just an old wives' tale. It's a mathematical probability. Its certainty is not just a probability, it's a certainty. Because today is a smaller portion of your life and my life than yesterday was. Just do the math. That's why it seems like it's going faster, because it really is going faster. It's gaining momentum. And we who know Christ, that is not something that should upset us, but should motivate us and give us hope, because we know we'll be with the Lord. Look at verse 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. Those who fear Him. The loving kindness of God. In the book of Jeremiah 33, 3, this is what God speaks to the prophet. He says this. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Can you imagine that? 
that the Lord would love you and me with an everlasting love? He has and He will because of His promise to us, His work for us, how it was He who put into motion what we call the gift of salvation, the plan of salvation. And He made the ultimate sacrifice as our Father by giving His Son to die in our place and to take our sins upon Himself. Well, enough about the, how He pardons all our iniquities. If you are bothered by the thought of having to stand before a holy God someday and face Him in judgment, you need not worry any longer provided you realize how He has made a way for you. It requires your giving up control of your life. That's the hard part for us. We want to postpone. We want to put it off. Do you know the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that today is the day of your salvation? Do you know the only time on the devil's clock is tomorrow? Are you aware of that? Just put it off. You may have good intentions. Act on them now and trust the Lord. It'll be a blessing to you. Let's look at the second thing that bothers us. Who heals all your diseases. Some of you worry about your health. Probably 50% of us present have thought something about our health in the last few days. Well, God is the healer. We know the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that to face judgment. We know that nobody is going to get out of this world alive except those who are alive in Christ when Jesus comes again. So what we are to see here is God knows we're going to die, but if you have been healed of any disease, and I would imagine everyone has of some disease, be it ever so small or great, whatever it is, God has healed you of it. Isn't that true? How does He heal us? Well, He's built the body that we have that has a beautiful immune system, and God has wired that system to help combat disease when it comes to try to undo us. So the very natural processes which God builds into the human body conspire to give us good health. Also, there have been times when you have had an illness, like I mentioned in my young life, and I went to a physician, and he referred me to a surgeon, and the result was that I got well. And to this day, almost 50 years later, I have no problem. It was corrected. Thank God for medical science. And God's the one who gives these insights and uses people who are trained and put forth the discipline necessary to carry that capability forward. God heals through medical science also. Also, the Bible says, if any of you is sick, let him call for the elders, ask the elders to come. They can pray over you, anointing you with oil, and the prayer of faith will be answered. Our elders are more than happy to pray over any one of you who is battling an illness and you want them to pray for you. We do this frequently. We don't do it publicly usually. We do it 
privately at the request of the person who is ill. So in any case, he heals us. Sometimes you may have had the situation, I have known it before, where the moment someone prayed for you, and they may not even have been nearby, they may have been halfway across the country, they prayed for you and you got well. Praise the Lord. Are we ever going to argue with the means whereby God heals our diseases? Absolutely not. He heals all of our diseases. So when you're bugged in the night, relax and leave it in the hands of the Lord. Now that's easy for me to say when I'm relatively healthy, but this is what the Word of God teaches us. Look at the third thing. Who redeems your life from the pit. This seems like on the surface a redundancy of the first thing who pardons all your iniquities. But when you look at it more carefully and study it, what you discover is this is not talking about forgiving of sins. What it's talking about is wasted life. Do you have a history of missed opportunities to serve the Lord and grow in the Lord? Are you? Look, this is what we need to understand. We are to be very careful, Paul says, because the day of the Lord is coming and we miss opportunities because of preoccupation with ourselves or refusal to join in what God is telling us to do in following Him. And you can look back and the landscape of many of our lives, those landscapes are strewn with wasted opportunities. What about you? Do you think you've made such a mess of your life that there's no point in trying? You may have tried Jesus before and it didn't work. Well, maybe you misunderstood what it meant. It's not trying Jesus out like some other thing that's new and can help you, but it's giving your life to Him and surrendering to Him and saying, Lord, I've made it a mess, this life you've given me. I want you to use it to glorify you. I can tell you story after story I want, because time won't permit, of people whom I know who were in the world. They did not know the Lord. They were religious people in some cases. Then Christ came and He revealed Himself to them and usually it's through wasted opportunity. And the result was they gave their hearts to Christ and their new people. And the way that God is using them is amazing because they have no pretense about them. They don't go about chortling about how religious they are. They just let Christ rule in their hearts and let Him minister to other people. It's gorgeous what God does through people who once were lost but now are found, were blind, and now they see. Beautiful. So, God causes all things to work together for good according to His purpose for those who love Him. He loves you. He showed it to us through what He did for us in Christ. And when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, just like that, He comes to indwell you. He begins to make you new. You're a new creation, the Bible says. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And you can walk in that newness of life 
with him. So if you lie awake thinking, I've made such a mistake in my life, it's, a, it's just a total disaster. Let me remind you, God specializes in turning ashes into beauty. He gets us many times at our lowest point and He shows what He can do with a person who from every other person's vantage point is a loser. And He takes losers and makes winners out of them. We're all losers, by the way, if we really know ourselves. Let's go and look at the fourth thing. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion? Last time I checked, people who wear crowns are royalty. Would it surprise you to know that the Bible talks about you and me as being part of a royal priesthood? Did you know that? That's who you are in Christ. You are a part of royalty. And I'm not trying to make something bigger than it ought to be made, but God is our Father. And what position does God hold in the universe? He's the King of kings, right? And we are His children. And what does He crown us with? Loving kindness and compassion. That may seem like He's talking about what He's shown us, and we would be right in making that conclusion. But here's the other side. Another thing that keeps us awake at night is relationships that aren't good. Relationships where we have not been loving toward people we should have been loving toward. Relationships where we have not shown compassion when we had every reason to do so. And this is what the Lord says. He says, I crown you as my child. And in my coming to live in your life, as you yield your life to me, I will give you my compassion and my loving kindness, which we saw in verse 8 is incredible in its possibilities for us. The Holy Spirit's fruit is love, joy, peace, patience. That word is translated long-suffering in the King James Version. That's a good translation, by the way. Have you been long-suffering with people in your life? And you've snapped at them. You've alienated them. You've made them feel very tiny by withering speech or rejection of some sort. Look, when you come to Christ, He gives you that kind of patience and that kind of loving kindness that is characteristic of none other than the Holy Spirit Himself who will come to live in you and give you the power. Let's look at the last of these five areas that we find ourselves having guilty and very anxious thoughts in. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 103 who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Those of us who are older, you know, we get to a point where you can give up and say, well, God's done with me. I mean, I'm over the hill. And I'm not saying that about myself, okay? But some of you might want to think like that. But what does the Lord do with anybody of any age who is yielded to Him. What does He do? He will use you to accomplish His purpose that He saved you for to begin with, to bring honor and glory to Him. It's never too late. Never too late. 
Moses was 80 when he got his start. Abraham was 75 when he got his start. And on and on, old people are used just like middle-aged people and young people. Thank you that God does not discriminate based upon age. Isn't that awesome? He uses people of all ages in every walk of life whom He has redeemed, and He wants to use you. Get a picture of Him first that's accurate. Christ is to be the center. When He becomes the center of your life or my life, then He is going to give you freedom from anxious thoughts which multiply within you. Because your orientation is away from focusing on yourself. And that's always a losing proposition. To focusing on Him. And He will lead you in the way you should go. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many people could step and say it right now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, know Him and He will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. Surrender to the Lord. Give your life to Him. And you'll find the power to overcome your anxious thoughts. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for who You are. You are so wonderful, Lord. We can't quite grasp Your graciousness to us, Your loving kindness, Your compassion. We know it's true. You said it. Help us to know it in our own personal lives. And Lord, for those who are here today who have never stepped away from the control center and handed the wheel of life to You, Lord, to be guided strictly and solely by You. I pray that they would surrender today. Right now, they give their hearts to You. You would fill them and lead them in the way they should go. Help all of us who already know You to renew our vision of You in our lives and believe what You say about us as displayed in these verses that we've considered today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.